as I was uh, here studying last night, uh, our drummer was here practicing, and I was, for the first time in my life, almost studying rhythmically as I worked through the text. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, there is a black Bible on... We, we don't have pews here. We have chairs. We have a black chair Bible there. If you want to take that, we'll never notice. So, Acts chapter 17... Uh, We are looking at the story of Paul in Athens. We've stepped away from our time as a church in the book of Philippians to consider the importance of the resurrection. After all, it is Easter. And here at Grace Bible Church, we celebrate Easter, 52 Sundays of the year. So if you would like to come back with or without pastels next week, that's up to you. We'd like to have you, if you're a guest, Acts chapter 17, picking up with me in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him, and some this ignorant show-off trying to say... And others replied, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and they brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching that you're presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and and he said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through, observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which this was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in shrines made by human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he's made every nation, every nationality to live over the whole earth. And he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they may live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out to Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Since then we are God's offspring. We should not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or images fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the thing, these times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule. Some began to ridicule him, but others said, We'd like to hear more from you again about this. 
So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Arapagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Uh, I'm not sure where you were having conversations with people that you disagree with in the year of our Lord, 2021. I don't know even if we like to lean into disagreement, especially in person. Because in-person disagreement means that you have to deal with someone uh, responding to you, reacting to you, pointing out the faults and the flaws with what you might say. Uh, Maybe for you, you are a social media warrior and you spend... Moment after moment and hour after hour of your life posting comments and replies to things that you agree with and sharing those ideas and trying to combat the wayward thought that someone would ever, ever disagree with you or the people of whom you are a minion. We look and we notice this, that social media has become the place, began to be the place where we are having conversations because we have stepped away from in-person interaction. When we get to the Acts chapter, in the book of Acts chapter 17, we have the Apostle Paul. He has been teaching in two churches, the church at Berea, the church, the church at Thessalonica. And as he has taught in those churches, he has come in, as this passage says to us, and he has pointed out some things that are taking place there. He has pointed out that all of the teachings of Judaism have been taking us to one person. And they have been taking us to a person who is very important to what takes place today, yesterday, and forever. And when I say today, I don't just mean today, which is Easter Sunday, but every single day of, in all of creation. We look into the story of Easter because we are considering the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And when Paul goes into these churches who have numerous things that they think about God, numerous things that they know about God because of what the Old Testament Scriptures teach, Paul says to them, everything that you've been reading, everything that you've known as a Jewish person, as a person of this faith system, has been pointing us to this person of Christ Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is the culmination. He is the completion of all Old Testament teaching. We find the hope of the Old Testament walking in the flesh, dying on a cross in the person of Christ Jesus. And when Paul said this in Thessalonica, and when he said this in Berea, those churches split. Paul split more churches than a Baptist preacher. Paul walked in and spoke to the situation and he said, the hope of this whole deal rests in Jesus. And for those of us who would claim to have any type of affiliation with the person of Christ, with the idea of Christianity, anytime we begin to add to the message of Christ, we have ceased to have Christianity. Christianity is connected, tied to, it is Dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus. A Christless Christianity is a dead Christianity. A Christianity that adds things other than Christ to the hope of Christ is a foreign Christianity. A false Christianity and a Christianity that we should forfeit. Our hope is nothing less than Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Paul walks into a city full of idols. And he is grieved because he knows something about idols. Idols lead to death. Now I'm not talking about the idols that I watched in the year when 
We learned about Kelly and Reuben and Carrie Underwood. We're talking about structures. We're talking about things that have been built where people would meet with God and worship. This, in this world, Paul is dealing with the idea of people who are worshiping things that are foreign, worshiping things that are false. And Paul is going to speak into that scenario and he is going to say, this Jesus, this Messiah, he's the hope of the world. Paul takes this message, and we see it run through the entirety of the book of Acts, however. This message that Paul preaches is one that he overheard a young man named Stephen preach when he walked through the story of the Jewish people in the book of Acts. When he came to the completion of that, Stephen, as he had walked through the story of his people, he was stoned, and Paul stood there holding the coats of the men who stoned him. This story and this sermon of resurrection that, that Paul is going to preach here in Acts chapter 17... It reminds us of the message that is preached in Acts chapter 2 when Peter would stand before numerous people and he would preach this message over and over. Peter would not be the most popular sermon preacher in the days of things because his sermon was always the same. God sent his son. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Repent. You get that in Acts chapter 2. You get to Acts chapter 4. Peter has a new sermon. Second verse. Same as the first. And he says this. God sent his son. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Repent. That's the message over and over. And we get to Acts chapter 17. We've moved away from teaching and preaching to Jewish people. We are in the forum. We are in a, a city. We are in a conversation where everyone happens to be invited. Where everyone knows your name. Norm sitting in their midst. And as we look at the passage... Paul has a message for these people because he is deeply grieved. You'll notice a certain flow in the text. If you're a note taker, feel free to put these things down. If you're not a note taker, just ask the person who's writing notes beside you to keep you in, in line. It says this, we see this in verse 16, that he is convicted. Paul is convicted, we, and when I say convicted, I mean he is grieved by the idea that he is among an idolatrous people. In verses 19 through 29, we see that Paul connects with these people And finally, we see in verse 32, he compassionately confronts what's taking place there. Again, for those in the back, he is convicted, he connects, and he compassionately confronts. Paul, we see in verse 18, Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, they also debated with him. They said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? I don't know why they thought Paul was a show-off. The word that's actually used in the original language is is a word uh, tied to the idea of a woodpecker or or a bird. A bird that flies from place to place, picking up a piece of this and a piece of that to put in its nest. If you've ever noticed a bird's nest, it's not the same thing. It's made up of numerous items that the bird has happened to find. And what they're saying about Paul, when they call him a show-off or they call him a babbler or they call him a woodpecker is he has flown around and he has brought this idea and that idea and that idea and he's mixed them all together in this idea smoothie and he's presenting them to us right here. What's he trying to say to us? This babbler. This woodpecker. One person said, well, he seems to be preaching foreign deities because he's telling us the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. In the original language, we see that when they 
hear Paul mention Jesus and the resurrection, they are hearing him say not one thing, a united idea, but two separate ideas. The word for resurrection is similar to the word Anastasia that you may be familiar with from some princess movie from the early 2000s. When you see this idea of resurrection and these things tied together, they're saying these are distinct. They misunderstood him. We have misunderstandings at our house all the time. My kids like music. I'm more of a podcast listener, but my kids like to listen to music. They like to listen to music in the the minivan that you drive when you have four to five children uh, with their mother. And and my son, Charlie, likes to sing along with the songs on the Spotify or the Apple Music or whatever we happen to be playing. And he will misunderstand words from time to time. He was singing one of our poets from the 1980s about, whoa, halfway there, whoa, living on a prayer. Paul, uh, my son Charlie, thought that Paul just enjoyed his outdoor time because he sang Living on a Prairie. Um, There's a a song on Christian radio, if that's your preference, or it's in Christian music. It's called Holy Water. And in the song Holy Water, there's a lyric about your forgiveness. And I won't sing to you because I can't hit the high note or the low note or really any note. Where it says, your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. And I guess that's poetic and symbolic. But when Charlie hears the words, and he hears, your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my legs. Which sounds like a really sticky situation. <laughs> Who needs that? Paul, in this passage, mentions Jesus and the resurrection, a united idea. They are not separated in Paul's mind. But these people, they, they hear something that's altogether different. He's in the marketplace. Everything that comes with the marketplace is there. It's, it's a fair, if you will. There are food trucks and with fusion foods. And, and there are funnel cakes because we like old school things. And more than likely, someone's making balloon animals. And all of this is happening in the marketplace. And they're hearing Paul talk. These people who are double A at best in their understanding of philosophy. And because Paul presents this message to them, they say, let's take him to where the heavy hitters are. And at that point, they move Paul to the Areopagus. They take him to this place where he has to interact with people who know things. If they know things, they're going to know how to deal with this babbler, this woodpecker. They're going to know how to take his nest apart. They took him in verse 19, they brought him to the Areopagus and they said, May we learn about this new teaching that you're presenting? Because what you say, it it sounds really strange to us. And we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Now, I'm not exactly sure, because I'm no Greek scholar, what exactly is being pointed out there, but there are numerous beliefs who think that this is a slight, if you will. All these people do is waste their time talking about things that they barely have any idea of, and it amounts to nothing, but this is what they do. And these are their heavy hitters. Paul returns their jab. You'll notice that. Verse 21 The idea of talking about these new things and collecting these new things. But then Paul moves in the text, or Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, moves in his progression of thought 
to point out Paul's compassionate confrontation of what's happening here. That these things work together. Go with me to verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and he said this, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and I observed the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which it's inscribed to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship as unknown, this I'm going to proclaim to you. He's taking the ideas as to what they know and showing them the inconsistencies of it. Was he insulting them? More than likely he wasn't. But he was pointing out to them there are logical inconsistencies to the things that they happen to say. But in pointing those out, it does not come from a place of him hoping to be right. It's that he hopes that they would become righteous. Do you ever listen to yourself when you are having a disagreement, an argument? Far too often it seems like Christian people, those who would claim the name of Jesus, care more about being right than they care about being righteous. To confront sin with no compassion for sinners is wicked. To confront the sin that someone is dealing with, with no compassion for the person who deals with that, is a wicked approach to them. That is not founded and grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. It's founded and grounded in the hope that you are correct. And our correctness is going to burn up. Our correctness isn't the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. My rightness is not the hope of the world. Jesus and the righteousness that he offers is the hope of the world. Jesus wept at the idea of people being far from God. And I worry that many of us, if we could look into the depths of hell, would look at the people suffering and say, I knew it, I told you so. That is godless. It has always been godless. It is godless right now. And it will forever be godless. For us to be compassionless is for us to contradict the message of this Jesus we claim to worship. The message of this passage is the message that Paul brings to these folks. And he says... He's pointing out they have these various thoughts about God and they're just missing it. But he doesn't just say to them, you've missed it. He points to them as to where it's going to be found correctly. When you look into the book of, in the book of Luke, as he's dealing at the Areopagus, you are dealing with a group of people, these Athenians, who, who believe themselves to be unique, elevated, and uniquely designed. If you'll go with me to verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, He is the Lord of the heaven and the earth. Paul, in this passage, as he compassionately confronts them, says, This is what you've heard. This is what is true. He then says this. There's this thought, when you look at the history of these people, that temples is where they would find God. That they would go to these temples and they would interact with God at these temples, whatever that God happened to be. This unknown God, this foreign God, this plethora of gods, this polytheistic notion of God. And Paul says this, the God who we met in Jesus does not live in shrines made by human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Again, dealing with the notion and the grievance that comes as he confronts idolatry. Looking at the idols in their world and their hodgepodge mixed up religion the nest that they had made how much do we miss the nest that we've made 
where we have the idea of who Jesus is. But we've picked a little bit up from here and a little bit from there and a little bit from here and pretty soon there's nothing consistent about it. Paul points out that they have the idea that they would meet with God this worst, and that they would bring things to God. Saying to them, the God who we really know, He doesn't need anything from us. From one man, He made every nationality to live among the whole earth. Again, confronting the idea that they were unique, that they were distinct. He's saying, no, 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 no. God made you. God not only made you, He's determined the appointed times and the boundaries where you're going to live. Paul, in this passage, walking through, diligently pointing out the faults and the fallacies in their line of thought for the sake of compassion and hope. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they may reach out to Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. That the God who we've met, the God who we know in Jesus is inviting, always inviting people who are far from Him to know Him. People who do not love Him to care for, to, to love Him. God lost people to be in relationship with Himself. For in Him we live, and in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, and here Paul quotes from two people that they are very familiar with. He's quoting from their musicians, their country music singers, their rappers, their philosophers. When he says this, as some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Since then, we are God's offspring. We should not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human hand, art, and imagination. Therefore, Paul says, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. The idea of repentance is one that is misconstrued. Because we have wielded it like a weapon that you should turn away from your sin. And that is absolutely true. The idea of Christian thought, of what it means to follow after Jesus, means that we look at the world in which we live and we call people to turn away from sin. But it's not only about turning away, away from sin, it's about turning toward something. Rather, turning toward someone. You'll notice in the passage when he calls these people to repent. He's calling them to repent because outside of repenting, they're moving toward death. They're headed toward death. They're living in the direction of death. But he turns it. Because he said a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has appointed... He has, provided every, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Repentance is not just turning away from sin. It's turning to the life that God has offered us in Jesus. This is why Martin Luther points out that the believer should live a life of repentance always, daily, taking up our cross and looking at the sin in us. The sin to be right. The sin to be correct. The sin to hold things over others for the sake of our own victories. And he says we should turn toward the resurrection that God has offered us in Jesus. How often
often for you as a believer in Jesus, are you turning from your own rightness toward the righteousness of Christ? How often are we nothing but people who would bring more despair? It's just coated in some faux Christianity because we don't want people to really know Jesus. We want them to know that we're correct. Paul points out in this passage the idea that turning toward Jesus is the heart of Christianity. Turning toward the resurrection. The hope that God has given us in that. Because as Peter said earlier and Stephen reiterated, God sent His Son... You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Repent. One theologian says this, The God who refuses to share his glory with any other has shared it with Jesus. This is showing us that Jesus is God in the flesh. Because Jesus has accomplished the task which Israel's God had declared that at the heart of his return, he would accomplish himself. Jesus has accomplished resurrection. Displaying that he is fully God. Holy God. As much as these Athenian people did not agree based on contrasting philosophies, they did agree on this. They believed that resurrection was dumb. They believed the idea of resurrection is dumb. And with that in mind, knowing that about the group of people that he's speaking to, Paul says there is no hope outside of responding to the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead... Some began to ridicule him, but others said, We'd like to hear from you more about this. Throughout this entire conversation, Paul maintains the unique, distinct nature of Jesus. And he is willing to stand alone if he must. And as he does so, he challenges the idolatry of these people. Never losing sight that if you challenge someone's idolatry, you're challenging someone's security. Whether it is in idolatry that is based in these foreign gods or the various things that we idolize in 2021. To challenge idolatry is to challenge security. Are we people who are going to say, I know that you find your security in that, but let me tell you, this Jesus, the security he offers is greater. It's bigger. It's stronger. It's more. Paul deals with this. So they left. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and they believed. So for us as a group of people who've gathered here at 1027 Dixie Drive because you found us online or you were invited by a friend, I would just ask you how are we going to respond to this message of Jesus because it invites all of us to respond. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, it invites you to respond and find the little places in your life where you are seeking to be right rather than righteous. And to deal with that in your own heart. To to allow God and what He has told us about Himself to speak truth into that. To show hope in the face of that. If you're here and you don't believe in Christ Jesus, I want you to know that He invites you to a relationship with Himself. But as He invites you, He commands you to repent. To turn from your sin and to turn toward Him and His resurrection. Because He has chosen to deal with your death. To put your death to death on a cross. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Christ, we would love to chat with you about what that means. And, and I'm going to be at the back of the room in just a few moments. If you would like to come talk to me, I would love to talk to you as well. Here's what I'm going to invite us to do this morning. Your heads are bowed and the band's going to come and lead us in a time of, of closing worship. Would you turn to Jesus? 
For those who do not believe, He invites you to trust Him, to trust His resurrection. Would you turn to Jesus? Because He has given opportunity for people to repent. And if you have today, you are given the opportunity to repent. If you're a follower of Christ, would you look into your own heart and evaluate the self-righteousness that may be there and walk away from that to Jesus? And live in response to Him. Father, we trust You this morning. We believe that Your Word is good. We believe on this Resurrection Sunday. We can know that life is present and available to us because of Your Resurrection. Because You have defeated sin and death. May those who do not believe turn from death to life. May those who believe point towards you as life and nothing else. We ask this in your powerful name. I'm in the back right hand corner of the room if you need me.